So we're going to do something really ambitious here. We're going to pack a discussion about regulation and responsibility in cryptocurrencies into 20 minutes. Um, so just to dive right in, uh, I wanted to start with the news that broke a few days ago that the US Justice Department has started a criminal probe into manipulation of Bitcoin prices and other cryptocurrencies. Now, what was you guys' reaction to that? Like, were you like, you know, stay out of it, government? Or was, is that a case where maybe some government action is appreciated? I think when we look at the regulatory environment, we have to also understand that the nature of blockchain technology is fundamentally transforming the relationship that individuals have with all institutions across the world. And that because blockchain as a technology at its core is incentivizing peer-to-peer -peer responsibility, I think as a subset, we'll see shifts in the way that institution and regulation attempts to govern the space. Blockchain says code is law and you know, these protocols in and of themselves have their own governance models built in. And so I think that in the instance of people manipulating markets or being selfish or taking advantage, it is definitely something that's obviously worth exploring and, and worth people gaining information about. Like, I had one of my wallets hacked and from an EOS scam site that someone sent me and the first person that I called was actually the Department of Justice to say, find this guy. He has an Atlanta IP address. It shouldn't be that hard to track. So I do definitely think there's a need for people to have protection. But it's, it's when is that protection, protection disguised as, or control disguised as protection? And I think that's what we have to look at eliminating. Um, I'll add to that. And yeah. by the way, I'm from Union Square Ventures, not EQT Ventures. Nothing against EQT Ventures, but different firm. Um, you know, what's interesting about this whole space is that uh, it's technology innovation happening in a regulated environment, which doesn't happen very often. And so the regulations are catching up and the technology is emerging. So imagine the internet getting built and as you're developing core technology primitives like SSL, um, you're also dealing with, you know, mar like traditional regulation of a market or an industry. Those things are happening like simultaneously right now. So when I see stories like that happen, I think, well, of course, the regulators are going to catch up. There's certain parts of this sector that will ultimately come under the purview of different kinds of regulators uh, in order for them to have faith and have trust and for consumers to have trust. And at the same time, we're so early in the technology that we're going to see technological solutions to a lot of the problems, whether they're market issues or transparency issues or sort of usage issues. And so um, I, I think both are going to happen at the same time and, and should. Right. I mean, you know, with these allegations of market manipulation and sometimes we hear about fraudulent ICOs, I mean, does that mean the state of self-regulation in the cryptocurrency space right now is inadequate? And what are, like, specifically some of the areas where you think regulation is needed? Um, I think we still... Right now, yes, as Nick was saying, we're in a very early stage of development of technology and actually the society and the community who use it. So the government is there to protect people. I still think that it's, uh, it's their job. That's what they need to do. Uh, that's why I don't think the community is there yet where the community can do something about it. Plus, if we look at it, crime is a crime. No matter what, what happens and what technology it applies to, 
taking advantage of somebody else, using illegal tactics on the market, it's still a crime. So and those people will need to um, you know, pay for it, those people who do it, no matter what industry it is at, and no matter what is the community's reaction to that. I don't know if the government's always there to protect people. I think there are like many innocent people, for example, two instances of living in San Francisco and having someone break into your car and calling the police and the police literally saying that's not our job. If you go to an area that has far less influence, democratic influence, uh, then crimes can be more extreme with no interference or no protection for individual citizens, but rather incentivize protection for corporations over the rights of citizens. For example, in San Francisco, we would literally have free Wi-Fi for everyone everywhere if the regulatory environment wouldn't have been taking money from cable companies who were paying lobbyists to protect their interest in San Francisco. That's why we have paid Xfinity Wi-Fi that doesn't even work in all areas when Google wanted to install Google Fiber ubiquitously. So I think we really have to be considerate as well of the fact that the regulatory environment is not always conducive to human interest, but has been incentivized to appropriately maintain their capital interests. That's how the system of politics works when you mix economy and when it's kind of like the separation of church and state, right? When you're mixing a capitalist society and fundamentally embedding principles of governance within capitalism that has no regulation on itself. Once you reach a certain level of wealth, there's very little regulation that those people have. That's why so many people are getting away with white-collar right, crimes. Tony, I guess that's kind of a matter of the specific application of the law and kind of how it's really executed. So, I mean, are there specific government policies you would like to see or kind of specific measures you would like to see in the crypto space? Well, I think that I'd like to see the crypto space work on regulating itself so we don't need someone to come in and essentially moderate people's behavior. I'd like to see the crypto community creating reputation systems that say this person is an anonymous bad actor on the system. And we actually have verifiable proof of this because blockchain is an immutable ledger with your relationship with your identity and your action is fundamentally transparent. And so I think in having that kind of a reputation system and network, we can encourage principles that will transform. Obviously, protection is important. Right. Keeping people safe is important. But I think that we can use technology to transform our relationship to real protection of our networks in a peer-to-peer -peer way rather than having an overarching set of controls that essentially deprives people of agency because you have some bad actors in the system. I, yeah. What do you think, Nick? Oh, I think one area that's really interesting uh, that's new here in the crypto space is because everything's public on blockchains, um, there's more data available, there's more transparency, and uh, folks, whether they're regulators or you know, other people, market participants, aren't used to having that level of transparency at the core of everything, and I think there's a big opportunity for self-regulation in terms of bringing more data into that fold, or for people on the outside to build tools that can analyze what's going on in markets. I mean, we've met with the SEC and the CFTC, and we talked to them about, did you know that you can see the whole history of transactions on every blockchain, and you know, they're, they're still at the early stages of developing software to be able to look at that and uh, discern patterns and so on and so forth. And that's, you know, I think that's a whole area that's sort of in the middle of industry and regulators uh, that hopefully will be able to uh, achieve certain goals more effectively uh, in the blockchain world than we could previously. Right. I mean, one thing Katrina mentioned is, you know, protection of people, which is an ideal, I guess, that the government um, kind of aims at. I mean, <laughs> right. Um, 
I mean, one area we, we kind of talk about a lot in crypto is ICOs. And it's kind of done this interesting thing where it's almost like turned early venture investing into kind of a form of crowdfunding. And that is not usually available to the public. I mean, is there a role for the government to play in terms of kind of enhancing investor protection when it comes to ICOs? Or should people just be allowed to risk whatever they want with their own money? Well, I believe that. Uh it's, it's an interesting question. And what we've seen, especially when it all started with the DAO and the very few projects that were originally there, yeah, it was basically a fundraising. Uh, companies were asking for capital, and people were willingly buying their tokens and investing in those products. But in the beginning, maybe it was more understandable. People saw the projects. They spent actually time uh, to learn about it. It was not available pretty much to the wide market. And what we see right now, we see really like people, mom and pops, people spending their pension, going and buying some sort of tokens in anticipation that it's going to go double, triple, and they can become rich one day. Unfortunately, we do need a situation like this. We do need government regulations. We do need some framework and certain rules to protect investors. And I also believe it's good for the companies because once, once there is a regulatory framework, it's easy for startups to operate. They know that if, they, if there is an existing law that can apply and it applies in this way, so they can create a product. They can go and sell this right. product to the market. And they know that they will not suffer some sort of a strange consequences six months from now because I the mean, law given will change. how uncertain the state of ICO regulation is in the US, for example, like what are you telling you know, startups that come to you and they tell you they want to do an ICO? Like, are you telling them, you know, just don't do one? Uh, it's not, not that easy sometimes, yes. But um, typically, I ask them, what's your goal? So every startup has to decide first what they want out of it. Then they, look, they need to look at the budget, what money they have to actually sell this to the market. It's becoming more and more expensive to, have, to run an ICO. And then we look at the product, what they have. And then everything has to come together and be structured in the right way. And there are multiple successful ICOs. There are multiple offerings that were done already under the Reg D, Reg A plus in the US with security tokens. And there are tons of utility tokens out there on the market. So find a lawyer is your, is your advice, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, obviously. Well, we're seeing more and more projects uh, not doing a pre-sale of tokens. Um, just maybe that won't be the case forever, but especially given the speculative boom over the last 12 months and the scrutiny from the SEC, at least in the US, um, that's sort of a risky thing right now. It's very unclear and very uncertain. Um, yeah, sure, yeah. So we're seeing more projects who want to launch a token, but maybe aren't going to pre-sell that token. So launch, maybe bootstrap or do some other way to raise money, raise regular investors, launch a token, get it working, prove that you have a functional network that's not just a fundraising scam so that you can yeah. sort of hush the concerns that th this is just about you know, sort of taking money from unsophisticated investors, get something working. And then if you can prove this is a functional network, the token is actually playing a role in the network, people want to buy the token to use the network, then it becomes a little easier to let that token you know, sell on markets and maybe issue more. But I think we're seeing more projects not doing that from day one, at least in the US. But does that mean those startups need to first find venture funding? Well, did you guys see this fake site that the SEC put up? This was actually really, really, really cool. The SEC <laughs> right. created a public ICO scam, like yeah. launched by the office of the SEC, where they just put, it was essentially like we have, I have this joke where it's like, 
basically when I talk to certain investors who are like investing in ICOs, they're like, I thought it was legit. They had a WordPress site. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what? Like, how is it possible that that's how you would actively assess the worth of a company at this stage? Like, it's obvious that this has gone too far and people, we need to like have some form of, you know, reinings of the situation in, but I just think we are more intelligent as a human race. And I think with new technology, we can create totally new methods that don't say, let's take this broad framework. It's like being in school. Right, if you're an artist or like if you think differently or you're really creative, you're gonna have a totally different way of learning than people that are really good at this systemic like cog and system, institutional education, like study and do your homework and then get an A and complete this task. Some people just think differently. So I think when we imagine that we can apply a broad framework to all people, when we have technology to incentivize peer-to-peer -peer interaction and responsibility, I think we can do this more intelligently. That's my only point. That's my biggest point. I think that also kind of leads to a longer term question, which is that it seems like we are headed down a road of tighter regulation. But when those regulations eventually come, I mean, do you think that's going to threaten the very like accessible nature of cryptocurrencies? Because at that time, you know, you're going to have a lot of those major corporations with their legal resources who might be able to like climb those hurdles a lot more effectively. Yeah, I, I hope that that doesn't happen. Um, and the argument that we've been trying to make is that tokens function within these networks in new and interesting ways. And in order for them to have their full functionality, uh, it would be very difficult for them to operate within the traditional constraints of securities law and securities restrictions. And you want them to be accessible to regular people who aren't necessarily qualified purchasers or accredited investors. And so there's both a sort of uh, accessibility argument uh, that people who are using these networks and understand them should be able to participate. And then there's sort of a benefit argument, which is that if we're all building these networks together by our effort, by mining, by participating, we should be able to participate in, in the appreciation of that. And, and the networks, in I think a lot of cases, won't work if you put them too tightly into a box. Um, it's hard right now, though, because there's been so much speculative fundraising, and yeah. we're just at the very beginning of seeing actual functional utility in many of these networks. And so it feels like you're just talking theory. Um, but I'm hoping that over the next 12 months, as more technology actually gets built out of these ICOs, it'll be an easier argument to make because the stuff will be more visible. Right. I absolutely agree with that. And we know that, for instance, from the US standpoint, the regulators are willing and interested in uh, discussing certain things and regulations with the market participants. And they are, they are approachable, I'd say. They do work with the companies, and they kind of like they're interested in all the concepts. I absolutely agree with Nick that uh, we, they don't want it, the market doesn't want it when it's like it's too tight of a box. We've seen good examples with Singapore and some other jurisdictions with the sandbox ideas where uh, it's some sort of a um, network where you can launch the project that is very questionable within the legal framework that exists and then you show the good track record, you show that you can actually do something good and then the government can see how they can regulate that and what regulations to apply. I think this is a good approach as well and the market should show like it's also responsibility of the community and all of us to show that it can be used in a legitimate way. There are great projects and then you know I think regulations will come because the government always react to certain thing. But the more scams are going to be on the market over there, the more tight we will see the regulations. 
and I think governments are realizing as well, if they are not, people say, oh, this is their favorite word to use about how people are thinking about regulation, is everyone says, regulators are being thoughtful, right? And what this really means, I mean, like, yeah, because if they're not thoughtful about how these things are viewed, the wealth is gonna legitimately get up and go. It will just leave. People will move. The opportunity is so vast and extensive like we've never seen before. People will move to a jurisdiction that actually has a progressive view on blockchain technology. Like Ukraine, I think, released that they weren't you know, creating any taxes for ICOs. Australia once said they weren't taxing Bitcoin, but that changed. I don't know. A lot of these people are still, a lot of governments are still trying to figure this stuff out. I think it's a bit too early to say, let's put this kind of like, you know, let's, let's hang the noose, you know? So, and I think that because there's so much opportunity and there's so much wealth, this is why we have people like Christine Lagarde, who runs the International Monetary Fund, saying that blockchain is the future. Right. And I, I think that because we have a global you know, International Monetary Fund, who's having a progressive attitude toward blockchain, I think we will see blockchain reach scale appropriately without too much overreaching uh, control on the development of the ecosystem. Right. I mean, I guess we, we have yet to see whether governments are going to try to apply the existing legal framework to cryptocurrencies, which, you know, with its decentralized borderless nature, you know, is very different from what they're used to regulating. And um, that's probably kind of hard to cover within 20 minutes. But um, thank you very much to my panelists. Yeah, thank, you. thank you so thank much for writing in. Woo. Thank you, everyone.